Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. Father, as we gather around your word this morning, Father, and as we look at this topic of what it is to be transformed into the image of Jesus and the way about which you do that and accomplish that in and through our lives, I just pray, God, that this will be a revelation for us. Because, Lord, in this day and age in which we live, uh, Father, we need to live with confidence and boldness and courage and strength. Because, Father, our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in you, and that's a certain hope. And for that, we thank you. Uh, God, speak to us now through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we're up to part four of our series called Transformed. And one of the key texts for this is found in 2 Corinthians 3 and 18. And the Apostle Paul writes, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Friends, can I say this this morning? How much you know about God, how much you know about His Word, how much you can tick all the right doctrinal boxes in your life really doesn't make a great deal of difference. It's important. It is, if you like, the foundation of our faith. But the evidence of our faith, friends, is not in what we believe The evidence of our faith is actually in how we live that out. In Acts 2 and 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Uh, Last time, the week before last, when we were looking at this series, we talked about what it was to receive the Holy Spirit. Now today we're going to take that to the next step and focus on this phrase we find here in verse 4 where it says all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Because again, it's not enough just to believe in the Holy Spirit. It's important to believe that, but it's not enough. I would suggest it's not even enough to have received the Holy Spirit, which is the basis upon which we know we are a Christian. And we talked about this last time. Paul writes in Romans 8 and 9 and he says, If anyone does not have the Spirit of God, he does not belong to Christ. So it's not enough just to believe in the Holy Spirit. It's not enough just to even have received the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I think it's possible even to have been a Christian for many, 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 many years and still not know what it is to actually be filled with the Holy Spirit. And again, the valid expression of our faith is not that we can say all the right things and tick all the right uh, doctrinal boxes. The valid expression of our faith is that you and I live lives 
that other people observe and go, there is something about you that is different. There is something about you. I don't know what it is. And the only explanation is that the Spirit of God is reigning and ruling in our hearts and overflowing in our lives. Now, this phrase, to be filled with the Spirit or to be full of the Holy Spirit, is a phrase that we find 14 times in the New Testament. Four of those 14 times, it occurs before Pentecost. And we find all of them in Luke's Gospel. For example, Luke tells us of John, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, being full of the Spirit actually while he was in his mother's womb. It also says the same of his mother Elizabeth, that she was full of the Spirit. And it says the same of his father Zechariah, that he was a man full of the Spirit. And then Luke also records of Jesus at the time of his baptism, Luke 4 and 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. So they're the only four references all in Luke's account that we have in the New Testament before the day of Pentecost where we find this expression to be filled with the Spirit or full of the Spirit. And then after the day of Pentecost, we see this phrase repeated 10 times, nine of them in the book of Acts and one in the book of Ephesians. Now, many of us would be aware that Luke, uh, to state the obvious, wrote the Gospel of Luke, but he also writes the book of Acts. Now, I love the fact that it's Luke who was responsible for 13 of these 14 times. And I say I like the fact because Luke is a really, really educated man. And he actually writes his accounts from a really objective position. So he is meticulous in his account. He's an historian. He wants to get all of the events and all of the facts right. And you see this in his writing, Luke 1 and 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who, from the first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Not too sure who that guy is. So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So I love this. Luke, a meticulous historian, says, I don't want you to get this wrong. I'm writing the facts as objectively as I can. And I love this because here we have the person responsible for nine out of those ten post-Pentecostal moments when the fullness of the Holy Spirit or to be filled with the Holy Spirit is mentioned. And you can know that this is from somebody meticulous about the facts. This is not some emotional Pentecostal hype. You're supposed to laugh at that. This is, act, this is factual observation. 
He's observing exactly what's going on. And he's saying the only valid explanation for what is happening in these people is that they were full of the Holy Spirit or they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But we don't have Luke with us today. So I would suggest the people that can uh, be the most accurate observers in your life of whether you're filled with the Holy Spirit or not is your spouse, your kids, your workmates, your neighbours. Do they look at your life? Do they examine you and go, there is something about you that I cannot explain? The question is not, are you perfect? The question is, is there something about your life that is inexplicable apart from the fact that God is at work within you? I've told this story before, but um, I, I had to navigate... Uh, the complexities for nine years of actually being my parents' pastor. Uh, they were in our church. They're no longer with us. They had their promotion a number of years ago. But uh, it, was, it was wonderful to have your parents in your church. Uh, it was also tricky. I used to sit in their lounge room and they'd ask me questions and I would say, am I having this discussion as your son or your pastor? So there are some peculiarities about that. But I know mum used to often say, people would say to mum, they'd say, oh, you must be so proud of your son. And she would say, no. It's like, thanks, mum. Uh, she'd say, no, because up there, that's not my son. And what she was simply saying, and, and I think that's the greatest endorsement a pastor can have from your parents who know you the best. They know your flaws, they know your failings. But what mum was essentially saying is, what I see in my son up there the only explanation is not that it's him, but that it is God through him. And for us, is there something that marks our life that is inexplicable apart from the fact that God is really is alive and by his Holy Spirit, he wants to continue to do something in and through us that reflects something of who Jesus is. Amen. So what does this term to be filled with the Spirit actually mean? Well, in the 14 times the New Testament mentions this phrase, uh, you find it's actually in three different contexts. Firstly, it was an event. And in Acts chapter 2, it was an event that was the fulfillment of what Jesus had promised would actually happen. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And after that event, as it was, they were totally different. An incredible transformation had taken place within them. So much so that it created confusion and amazement throughout the city of Jerusalem. And on the day of Pentecost, Peter got up to testify. And when he spoke, 3,000 people were added to the number of disciples that day. But before that event, things were totally different for these apostles. Jesus, before he ascended to his Father in heaven, had said to them, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the outermost parts of the earth. But in the meantime, you need to wait until you have been given the power to do what I'm calling you to do. And here's the thing, Jesus had given them commission, 
Acts 1 and 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Judea and all uh, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the promise, you will receive power. Luke 24 and 49, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So I can see Jesus, and to paraphrase, saying, listen, guys, I'm giving you the commission. You're to make disciples of all nations. But Peter, let me say this. You need to be patient because if you go running out into Jerusalem now and try to do this in your own strength, not much is going to happen. Because at the moment, you don't have what it takes. You don't have the power. So wait. And after 10 days on that Pentecost morning, it was 9 o'clock in the morning, the Holy Spirit came. And as a result of that event, Jerusalem was turned upside down. And in this context, that Pentecost morning, it was an event. So that's the first context. The second context where being filled with the Spirit is used is in regards to our character. It's a disposition of our character. It's a, it's a mark of our character. Acts 6 and 1, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. So when they're talking in this context about looking for men who are full of the Spirit, it's not an event. It's talking about people who demonstrate godly character in their life. It's always there. It's always consistent. We see in the way they live their lives, they're full of the Spirit. And friends, if we're not consistent in our faith, if we're a different person here on a Sunday to what we are Monday through Saturday then there's something wrong and I'd suggest it's not the real thing because the Holy Spirit's main agenda for your life is not to make you feel all warm and fuzzy. The Holy Spirit has a far bigger agenda for you than that and it's to enable you to live a godly life in a godless world. So being filled with the Spirit is number one, an event, but number two, it's also a character. It's a disposition of our character. But then when we actually turn to the Apostle Paul's only reference to being filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5, we discover it's actually also a command. Ephesians 5 and 17, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So he says to them, guys, you've got to understand what the Lord's will is. And then he gives them two commands. The first command is don't get drunk on wine. Now, that's pretty clear. We all understand that one. But the second command, he says, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, let's bring this into context because context is always really important. When Paul is writing this, he's not sitting down writing a whole bunch of verses knowing that one day it's going to be included in the Bible. When Paul writes this, he's actually just writing a letter to a church in a place called Ephesus, a church that he planted. 
And in this letter to the Ephesians, he actually has a whole lot to say about the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 and 13, Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2 and 22, And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Ephesians 3 and 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Ephesians 4 and 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So in chapter 1, Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus, you're sealed with the Spirit. In chapter 2, he says you are indwelt by the Spirit. In chapter 3, he's saying, I'm praying that you will know the power of the Holy Spirit. And then in chapter 4, he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And yet, for whatever reason, he still finds it necessary in chapter 5 to say to them, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Because the term has become a little bit confused. Can I encourage you that to be filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't mean you need more of the Holy Spirit. And I've heard people talk about this and I've heard people pray in this regard and they say, Lord, we need more of your Holy Spirit, more of your Holy Spirit, more of your Holy Spirit, more of your Holy Spirit. Now, I know the intent behind that prayer. I know the heart behind it. But we actually don't see that reflected in Scripture. Because, friends, we know that the Holy Spirit is the third person in the Trinity. And if I said to you today, hey, guys, I, I, I hear um, Abe is actually at your house. It would be a really peculiar response for you to say, well, a little bit of him arrived yesterday. We think a little bit of, more of him will be there tomorrow. And we're hoping that the rest of him would come next week. Now, it's kind of a nonsensical thing to say because we don't talk about people like that. If Abe is in your house, Abe is in your house. It's the same with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person, not a human being, but we know he is a divine person. So we've got to be really careful to, to, when we say things like, well, I've got some of the Holy Spirit and I'm looking for a little bit more. Friends, if God has given you his Spirit then all of the Holy Spirit is living within you. Can I hear an amen? But Abe can be in your house, but you leave him sitting in the living room. You don't want him going anywhere near the kitchen because the sink is overflowing with dirty dishes. You don't want him peeking into the bedrooms because none of the beds are made. You don't want him going to the family room out the back because the kids have just got toys and stuff everywhere and it's a mess. So it, does, it doesn't make any sense to say how much of Abe is in your house, but it does make a lot of sense to say how much of your house is Abe in. And it's exactly the same with the Holy Spirit. We don't say how much of the Holy Spirit is in you, but it is valid to say how much of you does the Holy Spirit have. Now the other thing that it does not mean is that to be filled with the Spirit you actually have to be emptied of yourself. And I remember many, many, many years ago watching a pastor explain what it was to be filled with the Spirit. And he held up a glass of milk and he said, 
if I want to fill this glass with water, what's the first thing I need to do? And I was thinking I was really clever because I know the answer. If you're going to fill that glass with water, you've got to empty all the milk out first and then you can fill the glass with water. Well, apparently I was right. And he said this, if you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you have to be emptied of yourself. So I was right, except that I was wrong, and so was he. Because that analogy actually prompts two questions. First of all, what is myself, and how do I empty myself of myself? In fact, Paul writes this, Galatians 5 and 17, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. The harsh reality for each and every single one of us is that we will wrestle and contend with our sinful human nature until the day that we die. The old me constantly fights against the Spirit. That's why the Bible tells us not to empty ourselves of ourselves, but to die to ourselves. But I haven't emptied myself out. And thankfully, Scripture doesn't give us any indication that that's necessary. My sinful nature will fight against what the Spirit's agenda is in my life until the day that I die. Now, I think we can actually understand a little more clearly about what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit by looking at how the Bible uses that phrase in a different context when it says to be filled. For instance, on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 and 43, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miracles and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. So what does it mean to be filled with awe? In Acts 3, when a man was healed at the temple gate, Acts 3 and 10, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So what does it mean to be filled with wonder and filled with amazement? In Acts 5 and 17, then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. In Acts 13 and 45, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with envy. We've got the record of the Philippian jailer who was saved along with his family. Acts 16, 43, the jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he'd come to believe in God, he and his whole family. So what does it mean to be filled with awe, to be filled with wonder, to be filled with amazement, to be filled with jealousy, to be filled with envy, to be filled with joy? Let me ask a question. To be filled with joy, do I first have to empty myself of myself so that I can be filled with joy? The answer is no. To be filled with envy, do I need to have emptied myself of myself so that I can be filled with envy? The answer obviously is no. And friends, here it is. If you remember nothing else from this message, remember this. To be filled with joy means that I am so overwhelmed by joy that joy dominates my personality and determines my behaviour. Joy dominates my personality and determines my behaviour. To be filled with jealousy means that jealousy dominates my personality, determines my behaviour. Friends, you don't have to get up and testify in front of a bunch of people and say, guys, I just want you to know today that I am filled with joy. 
You don't need to make that announcement because if you're full of joy, it's evident in your personality and it's evident in your behavior. So what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Here it is. It means the Holy Spirit dominates our personality and determines our behavior. Can I hear an amen? And this is really interesting. Acts 2 and 6. When they heard this sound... A crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native tongue? Down to verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. So on this day of Pentecost, there was great confusion as to what was going on to the point where people thought, only explanation is they've got to be drunk. How do you get drunk? Well, you consume enough alcohol that alcohol dominates your personality and determines your behavior. And actually, it's a really good illustration. How can you tell if a person is drunk? Well, you can tell by the way they talk, you can tell by the way they walk, and you can tell by the way they smell. I don't know if you've ever watched The Cops, you know, that American reality police TV show. (laughs) When they pull over somebody who they suspect of drink driving, one of the first things you see them say is, uh, you smell of alcohol. And as soon as they open their mouth to speak, you suddenly realise they are drunk. And in the final test, they get them out of the car to do what's called a roadside sobriety test where they've got to try and walk a straight line. And very, very soon you, you recognise, wow, they can't even walk straight. So it shows in the way they walk, it shows in the way they talk, and it shows in the way they smell. How do you know if a person is filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, I would suggest three ways, by the way they walk, by the way they talk, and by the way they smell. 1 John 2 and 6, whoever claims to live in him must walk As Jesus did. John 2 and 6. And this is love that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you've heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. 1 John 1 and 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So they're all verses that talk about walking. That is... As you just go about your normal everyday life, there is something about your life that is characterized by the Holy Spirit, which will be characterized by the love that will flow from you, characterized by His light, which is within you. That's His truth. It's not about an event. It's about the way you move through life, the way you go about your business, the way you talk to your neighbors, the way you treat your spouse, the way you treat your kids. And the first evidence of being filled with the Spirit is not about what a person might stand up in a meeting and claim and say about themselves. No, you see it by the way they walk, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. 
Second way is the way that we talk. Jesus made this statement in Matthew 12 and 34. Out of the overflow of the, of the heart, the mouth speaks. In effect, Jesus is saying, if you want to know what's going on in a person's heart, hang around long enough to listen to what comes out of their mouth. And, and, and not just when we're on our best behaviour, because we can all turn up to church on Sunday and put on our best behaviour. We know what we've got to say. We know what we've got to do. But as you spend time with people, just doing life with people, when they're relaxed, when their guards are down, what comes out of their mouth will give you evidence of what's going on in their heart. And it's really, really interesting because as you look at these references to being filled with the Spirit, all but one of these references in Acts and Ephesians says that something happens to the mouth or through the mouth as a result of that. On the day of Pentecost, for example, they spoke in other tongues in such a way that 15 different nationalities heard their own language, the wonderful things about God. And then we have phrases like, full of the Spirit, Peter said, or Paul, full of the Spirit, said. Ephesians 5 and 18, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another. With psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. And it's interesting, almost every time when that phrase being filled with the Spirit is mentioned, something happens to their mouth. And what happens to their mouth is not about them. It simply glorifies God. So you can tell by the way they walk. You can tell by the way they talk. And you can tell by the way they smell. Now, where do I get that one from? Well, Paul writes this, and I love this, 2 Corinthians 2 and 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. In other words, we smell like Jesus. That is the very atmosphere of our lives. What we carry points to Jesus. Now we would think that this would be a beautiful thing, that the world would welcome this, that this is so beneficial. And, and sometimes we just sit there and scratch our heads and wonder why the world is so hostile to the church because we're aware of what our message is. But I think Paul gives us a clue. Some people do not like the spirit-filled Christian because we carry the scent of life. Because what that does, that aroma of Jesus, it actually convicts them of the scent of death in their own life. And so don't, don't be surprised if people are hostile to your faith. But another thing that I've also recognized, and maybe you've had this experience, you can meet a total stranger and something about them convinces you they've got to be a Christian. And then if you're bold enough to ask, you find out that they are. Because their life carries a witness in the way they walk, in the way they talk, and in the way that they smell. Friends, being filled with the Spirit has absolutely nothing to do with having goosebumps up and down your spine and a wonderful feeling of elation. 
Now, if you experience that, that's great and it's valid and that's okay. But don't make an idol out of it. Because that's not the main purpose of us being filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is about about living a life in a godless world that demonstrates who Jesus is. And when you look at all the references to being filled with the Holy Spirit, something always happens as a result. And Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. You will be my witnesses. That is, your life will tell people about me. And the fruit of the Spirit, the godly character that we looked at a few weeks ago, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit serve one purpose and one purpose only to equip us to serve and to minister to others and to bring others to know Jesus. So here's the question as we wrap up and I'll invite the team back. How do we know that I have arrived at the place where the Holy Spirit dominates my personality and determines my behavior? How do I live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Here it is. Are you listening? I have no idea. Oh, thank you, Sal. Bless you. Because I tell you, if we could make a formula out of it, it wouldn't be God. If we could make a formula out of it, it wouldn't be relationship. If we could make a formula out of it, the temptation would be, well, I can tick that box so I can move on. The cool thing about God is he has each one of us on a journey. And we've got to examine our own heart. Scripture doesn't give us a formula. It does give us some clues, though. First of all, for some of us, maybe we just got to spend some time getting alone with God. To come to that place of fully acknowledging Him and fully surrendering to Him. To be repentant, to confess before Him. To acknowledge and to declare our sin before Him. To know His cleansing in our lives and He is so willing to do that. We need to surrender to His Lordship in our lives. And as we fully surrender to His Lordship, we openly receive from God and He will come to fully occupy our lives. And as we grow and draw closer to Him and mature in Him and just live for Him, guarantee the Holy Spirit will begin to dominate your personality and determine your behaviour. You'll be full of the Spirit. That there will be thing, begin to be things about your life that have no explanation at all apart from the fact that the Spirit of God is alive in you. Every